Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Thanks. And I have a soundboard that I play with because it annoys my co-host who's here next to me. I'm Elliot Mistall, and I hope Joe dies before the soundboard bothers me too much more. I'm also sick, but I... Gosh. I'm also sick, but I want to say to all of our listeners that I got the flu shot, and even though I'm a little bit fluish, the important thing is that I'm not dead. So get your goddamn flu shot like an intelligent human. Yeah, so that uh, public service announcement from Ellie there... Yeah, flu shots are important. They're great. I mean, I'm sure that's the way the government's tracking us, you know, the deep state and all, but whatever. I'm not actually here to grind my gears about the uh, flu shot. I was going to do five minutes on school shootings, but that's uh, uh, morbid and and makes me sad. So instead, I want to do five minutes on porn stars. They have been in the legal news a lot lately. We have, uh, at Above the Law, had opportunity to write extensively about a few porn stars, one of whom I'm sure you all know, that's uh, Stormy Daniels. She's the uh, alleged uh, side piece of the President of the United States. Um, Another, Bella Knox, uh, we've written about because she just got into or uh, matriculated to um, NYLS Law School. So here's my thing. Since we have to write about porn stars so often, my issue is that I feel like we need a better legal definition for what porn star is okay just because you've acted in a porno should not make you a porn star okay we don't call an extra in a movie a movie star because like he handed tom hanks a cup of coffee all right tom hanks is a movie star the extra is an extra we need to be able to make some kind of actual distinction between porn extras and porn stars do 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 we not like i i mean honestly i don't think anybody who is just an extra First of all, I'm, I'm not thinking there's like armies of extras in most porn, but it, but it's CGI not like yeah, part, it's yeah. not like the extras are getting uh, are claiming that they're porn stars. These are literally the actual adult performers you're talking about when you talk about Belle, not Bella Knox and Stormy. Her name, uh, sorry, I'm sorry I got her. I'm sorry I got Mrs. Uh, Knox's name name wrong. That's that's bad form by me. My, my point is that no, there's what, what people are doing. What people are doing, and I'm, I'm sorry to bring this to your attention, what people are doing, they are the star of a scene of some, they're the star of a scene of some description. And because they are the star of the scene, they're calling themselves porn stars. I'm saying that our definition of porn stars should only go towards people who have been the stars of multiple movies, multiple plot lines, and are bankable actresses, just like we do it for movie stars. So... I guess I see what you're saying, but I think this is kind of the difference between model and supermodel, right? Or like uh, like an actor and a box office draw. Uh, you don't believe the word porn star should be used for people who star in porn, but only people who do, you know, what is considered the minimum number of porn movies, which I believe is 700, 800. <laughs> Well, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm making the same kind of legalistic distinction that I would make between, let's say, uh, 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 Chiwetel Ejiofor and Michael B. Jordan at this point, right? Chiwetel Ejiofor is a really good character actor, 12 Years a Slave, 
Inside Man with Denzel. He's a good actor. I like him in movies, right? He's not a movie star. Michael B. Jordan, you know, Apollo Creed movie, Black Panther movie. The what? Michael B. Jordan is a movie star, right? That's the kind of distinction that I think that we should be able to make to the adult film industry as well. I, I'm not not as familiar with the inner workings of the porn industry, but it would strike me as though that probably does happen. And it certainly isn't a thing that is relevant to this legal discussion as both of the individuals that you're talking about who have been in the legal news lately would have met your definition. Well, here again, here's my point. How do we know that? Where's the committee on that, right? Because I shouldn't have to go check out Stormy Daniels's uh, filmography to know if she's truly a porn star, a star of the pornography industry, or if she's just an actress. I, I mean, I, I mean, they have awards and stuff for this. Like, it's there's actually a thing. I know that because a previous article I wrote was uh, I knew we, we talked about cryptocurrencies a couple weeks ago. I knew a person who was working on a cryptocurrency for the porn industry that was going to be the way they the revolutionize all that. It was called. Bitcoin. Anyway, you know about porn industry awards because you wrote the articles? Yeah, cute. No, but this guy was working on a crypto with some other porn publishers was working on this crypto. And I talked to him about cryptocurrencies a couple years ago, but he was talking about, yeah, I went out and I met with people at AVN. And so like, there's actually awards ceremonies that they have where the big stars come out and there's like a red carpet where they're like, what are you not wearing? The point is (laughs) they do this and this has already been resolved internal to the industry, much like every industry awards and recognizes who the real players are within it in ways that maybe those outside don't. I mean, certainly in the legal world, I think we know who super lawyers are in ways that the real world doesn't, even though there is a publication called Super Lawyers, but that doesn't really count, you know? So to close, I guess what I'm really asking for then is not so much a new, more stringent definition, but for an accreditation agency. So I want AVN, I want uh, Bell Knox, not Bella, Bell Knox, to have to say Bell Knox, porn star, you know, accredited AVN or something like that. Um, The internet, which is a thing, announces that Bell Knox was the 2015 Best New Starlet and Mainstream Star of the Year nominee. There are actually awards and stuff where you could look this up if someone were so inclined. I have never thought that I would have this deep a conversation about the way in which the porn industry works. I think what Ellie's trying to get at is he wants to watch more porn, I think. No. I, I mean, like, because otherwise, I think all this information is here for you. No, no. I want to not have to watch porn. I just want to be able to structure my articles and give people the proper appellation. So Bell Knox porn starlet would have been better in our article than Bell Knox porn star. End MFing scene. Yeah, no, it wouldn't. Anyway, with that, Bizarre aside, we're going to take our short break and then come back and talk about one of our favorite things in this world, which is plastering rankings on people to tell them their self-worth. Hey, listeners, there's a brand new show on the Legal Talk Network about the First Amendment. Did you know that, Ellie? What? Yes. In fact, there is a new show about the First Amendment called Make No Law with our friend Popat. He did. He's doing his own podcast talking about the stuff that I've specifically debated about. 
Yes, and part of him beating you in that debate is he went a podcast, I guess. Anyway, the point is, he has a show now, and uh, let's listen to a quick trailer about the show. News and pop culture are full of controversies about free speech and the First Amendment. We hear terms like hate speech and heckler's veto in a barrage of coverage about campuses, protests, and even wedding cakes. But what does it all mean, and how did we get here? That's exactly what my new show, Make No Law, the First Amendment podcast from Hopat.com, will explore. I'm Ken White, and I invite you to tune in every month for the history, stories, and personalities behind the right to free speech and the most important Supreme Court cases establishing it. You can find Make No Law on the Legal Talk Network, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, actually wherever you're listening to this podcast. Do the exact same thing. If Ken gets his own podcast, I want my own podcast. Do you, you have your own podcast? No, you're here. You actually have multiple podcasts. You're literally right here. I, yeah. You aren't talking into the microphone, but that's cool. <laughs> and we're back. So we're here with the Above the Law Research Director, Brian Dalton. We're going to talk about some rankings. So welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me, as usual. So, Ellie, do you want to talk about what we're working on? So... Speaking of ranking things and giving people their proper appellation. The legal industry's obsession with credentialism has never been more on display than it has been in the last five minutes. This is really amazing. And of course, nothing could more naturally flow from that conversation into this one. So we're going from porn stars to outside counsel. Seamless. So this is one of the more, uh, This is. The, I'm a little bit uh, biased here. I'm very excited about these rankings. Um, I helped in the ideation of these uh, rankings. What we're trying to do is rank outside counsel. Now, what do we mean by outside counsel? Obviously, most of these big law firms, most of their clients are major corporations. But those major corporations have in-house counsel, right? They have lawyers working for them. So what the in-house counsel do one of their key jobs is to figure out when and who to call uh, when actual legal matters come up. And they have to figure out which big law firm to call. So we want it to rank the big law firms based on what those in-house lawyers think about them as opposed to what the big law lawyers think about themselves. Have we accomplished that in any way, Brian? I really hope that we have. Of course, we're not the first people to ever think of sort of asking in-house counsel to rate or evaluate outside counsel. But as you know, there's at least one sort of major trade organization that does this a very similar kind of, uh, makes a similar kind of effort. The AVN, right? The, the, the AVN. <laughs> but, uh, but of course, the results, the, their data is a perk of membership and cannot be sullied by sort of the prying eyes of the public. We are the first people to sort of want to share this in-house perspective on outside counsel with sort of the legal audience at large. And I think that that's what really makes this an interesting and fun project for us. So the goal here is to rank outside counsel based solely on what their in-house lawyers think about them right. um, across a couple of metrics. What's our main question? What's our well, main sure. question presented here? In chatting with various in-house and legal department, corporate counsel contacts that we had about how they think about their outside counsel, uh, one thing I was really struck by was the prevalence of sports metaphors and sort of sports cliches. Uh, 
they're closers, or they really help deepen our bench, or you know that sort of thing, or they're they're uh, a utility player. Like the uh, people in these legal departments kind of have developed their own kind of taxonomy of outside counsel. Of course, if you listen to law firms describe themselves, you're going to hear a lot of very similar claims about capabilities and their values and 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 what have you. But if you talk to people at these corporations, at the clients, they put outside counsel into various buckets. And the best we could do to approximate it was to kind of define a spectrum that had like levels of work. On one end of the spectrum is cost-efficient bulk tasks. And then moving along is uh, routine matters and then high-value complex matters. And then finally at the end, the proverbial bet the company matters. And so our survey was quite direct and simple. It was after we had the respondents tell us which firms they engaged, then they just would tell us further, now what is the highest level work you would engage this law firm for? And it was a one through four scale and the highest average scores were the top two tiers. And that's what we're going to end up publishing, at least in the first publication, which is slated for next week, which I guess is this week, right? Yeah. And that's it. It's it's pretty straightforward. It's aggregating perception and sentiment. And it's based on the type of work the corporate department would assign, the level of uh, complexity, sophistication, and importance of the work assigned to the outside counsel that drove the resulting list. And that's huge because I, a lot of times people say, oh, well, what's hey, in-house counsel, what do you think the best law firm is? And that's a very different question. And we see that in-house work is moving away from outside counsel sure. in a lot of ways. Sure. We see in-house work moving away from big firms and even mid-tier firms and certain tasks being moved to more boutiques, et cetera. In-house counsel are not making, as they might have in days past, the decision that is, hey, this is a Cravath firm, everything goes to Cravath. Different matters go to different things and right. different firms. And I think it's important to make that distinction because there's a lot of entities that are very well regarded, yes. I think, by firms, but only for certain discrete tasks that may not be uh, reflected by an overarching right? Sure. And that sort of increasing specialization, that the role of the specialist is, is magnified by just the general trend towards unbundling of legal services that we've seen over the last, say, 20 years, really. And it only accelerates. Now, you found, correct me if I'm wrong, but you found that there were firms using that litigation boutiques, as Joe mentioned, rated particularly highly. Yeah, that was one of the really interesting things. Let, let's just be honest. You know, there's no bombshell revelations on our list. We're not, we didn't uncover some heretofore unknown firm that um, everybody just uh, is just gaga over. Yeah, these we're going to edit that out, right? These are all <laughs> – no, but I mean, let's – you know, there's a certain durability – of law firm brand perception and how it blurs into actual law firm quality. And nobody's really ever been able to sort of disentangle those two things, and nor have we. But the one striking thing about our results is the fact that the firms that received the most love, that came in with the highest rating, were these smaller, mostly newer litigation boutiques. In other words, we didn't do an ordinal ranking where we put the firms in a list that, you know, the, the firm with the highest rating at the top and the lowest at the bottom. We just made an alpha list within a tier. But it's interesting to note that by far, 
and strikingly so, the highest rated firms were these boutiques. And I guess, you know, the relationship between the corporate legal department and the litigation boutique, which is apparently, you know, which is presumably only brought in as a hired gun as needed and assuming a positive result is going to be, you know, that will redound to the benefit in terms of perception of that firm as opposed to sort of workaday relationships they have with more sort of general service firms. Yeah. Keeping but, your ass out of jail is going to make you yeah, feel, feel kindly some towards your lawyers. For sure. So that was one thing. The other thing, though, that I was surprised about when we were looking at the numbers is that in-house counsel generally seem to be happy overall yes. with their choices. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's some sort of psychological principle at work there. Because remember, we're asking them to evaluate the... We're not asking them for their satisfaction with their firm. We're asking them the highest level of work they would assign. And I think upon reflection and seeing the way that the responses came in, there's probably something at work where in-house counsel are loathe to characterize anything that they're involved with as sort of commoditizable work. So <laughs> that's something that we perhaps- Everything is important yeah, to us. Everything's important. Right. So. Well, so the, you said there were no real bombshells here. Is there anything like in the- conception was there anything that you thought was going to be a bombshell like how did this idea for a ranking come about like who like inspired it or anything and then did you get what you wanted out of that i think that we did and i think that the value in this ranking is it's a new way of looking at big law okay it's not based on any of the sort of the law firm centric metrics that have always been employed to create these rankings schemes, whether they're our own or whether it's AMLAR or what have you, it flows out of really the most important and sort of most elusive figures in this whole kind of industry. Everybody wants a piece of in-house counsel, right? People want them to come to their events. People want them to come to their cocktail hours. People want to network them. People always want a piece of them. People are pitching in-house counsel all day. And um, so I think to, to answer Joe's question, if you allow me. I think that Brian's underselling a little bit the utility of the rankings, because I think when I look at the rankings, especially when I look at the two tiers that we have here, um, one of the things that, you're, that you see is that there is a bit of a confirmation bias for people who have been in the industry for a while, for people who like us who report on it all the time. I think for a lot of uh, senior associates um, and junior partners, these lists are going to make a lot of sense. These tiers are going to make a lot of sense. If you are in-house at a major corporation or a major bank, you're going to look at these tiers and they're going to make a lot of sense. If you're in law school, you're going to be surprised, right? If you're a junior person, you're going to be surprised. If you don't know how the lay of the land, you're going to be surprised because I think that Every individual big law firm is always telling you, oh, well, we're the top. We're the most respected for this. We do this great work. We do that great work. It's going to be interesting when you see that, well, yeah, they do a lot of work, but clearly the market has decided that the quality or the utility of their work is kind of second tier or you know, the firms that don't make our list at all, like third tier or fourth tier, right? That there are clearly – there's clearly like a top – crust of firms right. that you go to if you can afford them when the chips are down. And then there's another crust of still very, very good firms that you're still very happy with that still produce great quality outcomes for your client. But those firms are almost clearly your second choice. Sure. And it's it's only fair to note that we say we're having a tier one and a tier two. Well, these are the first two tiers out of how many 
a thousand tiers. Right. I mean, this is to be on this list at all is quite remarkable. And all these are fantastic firms, but um, you know, there has to be a one and a two as we as we uh. discussed. My question is, because uh, I know people will ask, just it, was it pay to play in any way? Like, how did you, how did we get the firms that ended up on the list at all? Absolutely not. We reached out through our own devices to all of the in-house and corporate counsel that we could communicate with, and we were fortunate enough to have a pretty robust response to our inquiries. Over a thousand in-house counsel told us what they thought of their outside counsel, and that really drove the rankings. And uh, in addition to the first and second tiers, which you've noted, we're also going to be publishing next week six industry-specific lists, shorter lists, but that cover finance and technology and healthcare and life sciences and media and entertainment and, and a couple of others. And those lists are also, by contrast, also interesting in, in, in what it reveals about the really sort of specialized priorities about inside counsel. Those are interesting to me because, again, as opposed to a lot of the other rankings, the way that we've done it, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that we've done it is that we've chosen the industry based on what the corporate counsel yes. represented their industry was, not what the firm represented. You know, Because you'll see a lot of firms like, oh, we have a thriving energy practice. Excellent. But this list is based on what corporate counsel for energy companies say which firms they use. That's exactly right. The, the industries were, were completely self-identified. So I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, and an important series of questions to start asking because we all the time, I think both on this show and in Above the Law, we're talking about the kind of malaise in the outside counsel industry where they're, you know, how are they going to get work? People are losing, losing demand, et cetera. And it's like, well, has anybody started to really dig down and ask in-house counsel why? And not yeah. that we asked that question, but I think this goes a lot to getting into that. Sure. That's the, I think we're, we're done. Oh, oh, okay. Well, well allow yeah. me quickly, Joe, to thank our uh, sponsors of this project of the outside counsel rankings, our friends at the litigation finance firm of Lake Willens. Ah, uh, yeah. So that's great. Thanks for their help to make these happen. I have not looked at them. Uh, I know that as an insider, I could have, but I've been trying not to because I want to be as surprised on uh, Lawyer Christmas as much as the next person. So looking forward to that. For those of you listening, uh, by the time you listen to this, it should be uh, out. If not, it might be a couple of days away and you'll have some time to uh, stew about it before you get to see it. Uh, it'll be on Above the Law, which you should be reading anyway. So with that, thank you, Brian, for joining us. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want thank to... Thank you, guys. Yeah. If you want to give us a review, that would be appreciated, whether it's on iTunes or Google Play or however you're listening to this. You should be following everything that Above the Law writes. You should also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at L-E-N-Y-C. You should uh, subscribe to the other Legal Talk Network podcasts because you can go on to their app and hear all of the options that they have. And with that, Ellie, did you have anything else? Also for the rankings, I wrote like a decision tree. It's really cute and oh, funny. Oh, it's hilarious. I really want people to, to read it too. So you have something, you know, kind of cute to listen to later. Mm. Yeah. So with that, we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks, everybody. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. 
the views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.